Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. I am Brian. With me this week is Vince. Zach is, uh, we usually make a joke about Zach being dead, but if Zach was dead, he couldn't be seeing Childish Gambino right now, which is what he's doing, and I'm jealous because of that. Um, how, how are you, Vince? Um, I'm good. I'm pouring one out for, for Mike McCarthy, ex-coach of the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, well, I... Uh, as as if you follow me on Twitter, you probably know I'm a big New York Mets fan. I write for a Mets site as well. And they just made a big blockbuster trade with the Seattle Mariners. So uh Congratulations. Eh, we don't know yet. They gave up <laughs> they gave up a very highly valued but very young prospect. So it's one of those trades we're not gonna know how it works out until like seven years from now. Yep. So so you know, some some people are already calling it like the dumbest trade of all time, but you know how sports fans are. Oh, definitely. So, anyway, Zach's not here, so this is basically a sports talk show for the next uh, hour and 20 minutes, so strap in, folks. Um, no, I'm kidding. We're talking about the DC Comics released on November 28th, 2018. We have uh, six books we're going to get to, but because we're not going to do any sort of little micro-reviews at the end, let's just get the good, bad, and okay list out of the way right now. So, um, the good list this week... Uh, aside from the ones we're going to talk about, which some are good, some are not so good, are uh, Books of Magic, Scarlet, and The Terrifics. The okay list is uh, Batgirl, Hexwives, Justice the Goddessy, Old Lady Harley, and Wonder Woman. And the bad list is Batman Beyond, Batman Kings of Fear, Detective Comics, Raven Daughter of Darkness, and The Silencer. I will say that I have not read Batman Kings of Fear since the first issue. But I still like that art. <laughs> yeah, to each their own, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So maybe I'll go back and read it one day. Probably not, but we'll see. I, I wish you would. Why? I I, I want to hear some alternate take on it. Okay. I thought you just wanted me to suffer or something. No. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's get to our first uh, comic of the week, which is Action Comics number 1005. Written by Brian Michael Bendis, illustrated by Ryan Sook. And uh, let's not bury the lead here, Vince. Motherfucking question's back. Oh, oh, baby. Oh, my God. This issue, I was like, Vince is going to love this. Vince is going to love this. Vince is going to love this. <laughs> like every... It was like di- manna from heaven. Yeah, the, the, the dial H uh, dial. Yeah. The question. It's all here. Yeah. Oh, my God. This was great. This is a really, really good comic. It's really good. I yeah. I don't. Uh, I, everything from the little notes that that Bendis puts at the beginning of the issue. As needs answers by five p.m. By the way. Yeah. Um, to just his willingness. Answer. The answer is don't put a cock on a comic. <laughs> Rethink this, Brian. <laughs> don't didn't go so well. Um. <laughs> Nice, nicely done. Thank you. Um, but and just, Naomi is referenced there. Naomi, yep, yep. And it's like Ray Palmer being there, you know. Well, and that's what his willingness to like pull stuff from other books. I feel like too often writers kind of keep their characters in, in their own little box, and if they have like a, a crossover or a reference with 
another character or another book. It's one of those things where it's like a special event and we advertise it on the cover, you know. Whereas I feel like in a Bendis Superman comic to this point, I have no idea who's going to show up or what's going to show up. What right. piece of DC lore is going to be drawn upon, you know? I mean, just on this first page, you know, Teen Lantern and Naomi are part of the Wonder Comics. Mm-hmm. So I understand why that's there. But, you know, there's a missed call from Kate Spencer. Texts from Ryan Choi. Call Ray Palmer. There's just all these little things that are that are really... They don't mean anything. Find Amanda Waller contact information. Like I don't know if any of that's going to actually play into into the comic, but it's just this 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 knowing um this knowing embrace of the shared universe goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um so let's talk about the question for a second, because first of all, when was the last time we saw a character with the name of the are we talking Trinity of Sin? <sighs> yeah. I think so. Like back when they were doing the Phantom Stranger stuff with uh, Pandora, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think so. I mean, apart aside from um, things like Convergence, right, right, yeah. But but in terms of an incontinuity in universe story, I think it's been that long. Mm-hmm. So Trinity of Sin was twenty thirteen. Wow. 2014, maybe? Feels like it was just yesterday. Does it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Feels like a lifetime ago to me. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I guess, you know, the the sort of big continuity-ish question here is, which question do we... Th- is this a new question? Is this uh, Rene Montoya? Is this uh, the classic... Vic Sage? Vic Sage question. I don't know, man. Um, I think if, if, if I would guess based on who Bendis likes to write or who I imagine he likes to write that it's Renee Montoya. I, I had the same thought and I think that like Vic Sage is a fine character. Don't get me wrong. I'm not hating on Vic Sage here. But I feel like almost anybody I know who wants to see a question comic, they mean Renee Montoya. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I'm sure there are people out there who, you know, are mad that, that she's Latina or that she's a woman and they're, you know, proud boys or whatever. Um but I don't – what was the – aside from 52, which is really a Renee Montoya story that Vic Sage is just playing a minor role in, when was the last, like, truly great question story that wasn't Renee Montoya? Uh, <laughs> nobody knows. Right. That's what I, might, that's what I mean. Yeah, so I think it's Renee Montoya too. And that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I hope that's right. Although to be fair, I, I I feel like I wouldn't be shocked if it was a new question. 
or if it was Vixage. I feel like I think it's Rhea Montoya, and that's why I'd put most of my eggs in that basket. But I could definitely see Bendis doing one of the other two also. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think a new question would be second most likely, but I think like he's already been able to introduce many new characters and I feel like I feel like also having him throw in a a, a new question of his own is like one step too far. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I I could buy that. <laughs> um What did you think of the uh of the the fake dial H dial? Um, again, just a very interesting way to use, uh, DC lore. And I, I think there's no, it's not a coincidence that that has shown up and there's a dial age for hero book. That's going to be part of that Wonderline. Yeah. But I thought the the kind of misdirect use of it here where it turns out to be like a non-functioning version, uh, was, was interesting. And what was fun about it was I think that if you had never read a Dial H comic before, this comic gave you more than enough information about the dial, but it didn't it didn't get pedantic and weigh down the story. Mm-hmm. Like it was explained in a really nice, succinct way. It was good. Yeah. Can I point out one piece of art that I loved? Of course. Yeah, I want to talk about Sook's art a bit, so go ahead. Yeah, oh man, so good. Ryan Sook's uh, art has been so good when he's been working doing these uh, Superman books with Bendis. Um, the I think it's page 14 of our PDF um, where Superman is flying to meet Melody Moore and then he drops in and, and, and drops in on her as Clark. Yeah. The way that that page is set up where you see the red streak behind the building, you see it through the windows. Yeah. And then you see the trajectory of it landing behind the building and then you and you see Clark walking out and it's all done on one page. On one panel, really. Well, oh uh, yeah, I but, guess but, it's not, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, one gigantic pan. It's like a big panel. Yeah. Um yeah, beautiful. Beautifully done. Just a very smart way to um depict that you know and it's it's so subtle that if you're not really paying attention to the art you may not even realize what's exact what he's exactly doing there you know mm-hmm. um really nice and then another another bit about Suk's art that i that i love is uh when <laughs> when clark is cleaning his glasses mm-hmm. and like for a split second you see you see like the Superman behind the glasses. Mm-hmm. Like he takes them off, cleans them. It's obviously Superman, you know, but, but nobody, nobody's going to think or say that cause it's comics, but right. it was just, that was a fun detail too. And, and he draws a handsome Clark. So yeah, this, this issue is, is really, really pretty to look at. Ryan Sook just, the guy can do it all. Like I and I loved. I'm trying to find who colored this issue offhand because I love the coloring in that first, the first section with the question. It was uh, Brad Anderson. Brad Anderson, yeah. Who I think, I think Anderson is a good colorist. I don't think he's one of my favorites though. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at that first section with the uh, with the dial H dial. 
there's you know all this purple and green that is used throughout it and then once the question starts to uh starts to sort of kick some ass you see all these different colors like all these sort of monochromatic um panels that it's just it's just beautiful stuff and it really works well with sook's art um and then that color scheme is so different than the superman color scheme that we get throughout most of the issue mm-hmm. it's just a really really nice deep palette of colors that are used in this issue um as you mentioned he does draw a handsome clark <laughs> and I think that Bendis really has a good grip on who Clark is. Like Clark's conversation with Melody Moore is so perfect. Yeah. You know, she's unsure of whether to go on or off the record and he, you know, he pushes her off the record because he's being kind. It's just what I love about Bendis as Superman so far is that he is not afraid to make Clark just the best guy. <laughs> I'm so sick of people trying to add some grit to that character. Yes. Yep. And I love that he puts the Superman wink uh, on Clark Kent's face when, when yep. he's talking to her. That that was a great little moment, too. I even thought the bit about the, uh, the mayor's office and sort of the uh, Melody Moore being disenchanted by the bureaucracy of it. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, that's a pretty standard trope of a, of a story, right? That, that, that this regular citizen wants to help, but the, the big government machine won't let her help. But I felt that again, Bendis is getting really good. And this is the opposite of what I said about Bendis two, three years ago. He's getting really good at taking these tropey things, like explaining the dial or giving this conversation between the mayor and the fire chief and just distilling it down to just a few pages. And it doesn't take over the whole issue. I feel like if this was an issue of Bendis' Avengers run, the entire issue would have been the gala. Yeah. And it would have been like witty repartee for two-thirds <laughs> of it and then the bit we got. But this just took the bit we got and, and ripped it out of there and it, it made for a really succinct, really well-written section of the comic. Yeah. What happened to Bendis? Man? I don't know. He's good. He's good again. <laughs> and uh, spoiler alert, when uh, you guys, I think, will be perhaps surprised to see where he ranked in our uh, Multiversity Best Writer poll. Oh, man. You got to spoil that for me. Yeah, He's in the top ten. Oh, well, I well, yeah, obviously. But we'll, <laughs> we'll take it off the air. Okay. You spoil that for me. Sure. Anything else about um, about action comics? Um, oh, I just wanted to say that I did. I saw somebody online who uh, <laughs> who was talking about the the panel where the question shows up, and they said, uh, "Oh, this is a, a Doomsday Clock tie-in because Rorschach showed up." <laughs> and it made me feel a hundred years old <laughs> to see somebody do that and say that. I mean, to be fair, like this question is so clearly visually mm -hmm. the Charlton question that Rorschach just totally ripped off. 
Like, I I know, I know. But but still, I understand. <laughs> but they still they still call them the question, and like you would have, yes. you know, it just it's clearly somebody who maybe hasn't been reading comics that long, where the question's not not as easy a pull for them, you know. I'm not uh, I'm not judging them in any way. I'm no, just I saying it, it yeah. made me feel so old. It's like I remember when the question was the question. <laughs> yeah. Um the big the big test is is the question saying bitch to be you? <laughs> if he is, then it's Rorschach. <laughs> That's yes. <laughs> oh, good comic. Yes, very good comic. Let's talk about the finale to Drowned Earth, Aquaman Justice League, Drowned Earth number one, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Francis Manipal and Howard, Howard Porter. Um, I have sort of a macro take on this, and then we'll kind of dig in. Sure. You, you my, macro t- uh, my macro take on this is that this this stuck the landing on a on a mini event that probably was two issues too long but i i don't think i i think that emotionally at the end of the issue it did some nice things it set up the new aquaman status quo i loved the bit about aquaman having like the justice league of fish people <laughs> yeah at the end there that was really good I thought there was some good stuff there. I I just think that this this book suffered a little bit from the over explan and this by I say this book I mean this crossover in general, uh, just the over explanation of things, and introducing a ton of new characters that we will likely never see again. Mm-hmm. The sea gods and all of that. Arian, right. I mean, they're not new characters. Like Arian is a character from D- from DC's history but it's not like this iteration I don't know if we'll ever see again you know right. um what did you think overall of this event and I guess specifically this issue um I think what I think pretty much everything you're saying rings true um but I think to to its credit it had great art throughout and yes. so you know i'll never complain except, about oh uh, except you hated the justice league art last week oh yeah 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 oof, yeah that was bad um but anyway <laughs> uh um and i think it, it's 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 big fun storytelling i think you know we've gotten the rumored um we we had the rumored uh, Jeff Johns Rise of the Seven Seas Seven yeah seven whatever seas, yeah. yeah whatever it was supposed to be that had been so long delayed that I feel like Snyder just kind of stepped in and said well I'll do my Aquaman event you know and and I think it was a it was a good substitute for something that I've been itching for and and I'm interested at where Arthur himself is going. Um, but, but yeah, I do think it did overstay its welcome a little bit. Um, I think that's just, that's just par for the course with events these days. You know, I, I, I don't, I mean, they can, they can tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't honestly think that, uh, 
Snyder and these writers are like, all right, we are going to write a, you know, eight issue event that's going to have all these tie-ins and one shots and things. I think that a lot of that gets massaged along the way. Don't, don't you? Yeah. I, um, I do think that there is a push lately to keep these little events within a month or so. Like we saw it with the witching hour and then drowned earth also where it just seems like the goal is to get it done in six weeks. And I appreciate that versus if this was just happening in a monthly series. Like if if this took place over six months, I'd have been really bored of this. Mm-hmm. But because they get in and they kind of bang it out relatively quickly, I think that it reads better. But I do think that, like you said, you know, I can't imagine them wanting to have as many issues or the type of issues or the tie-ins or whatever, I think part of that is probably quite editorially driven. Yeah. I would th- I would think. I don't know. Maybe not. Um, What did you think of the Black Manta stuff in this issue? Um, Him actually, sort of going rogue off of the Justice League, off I, the Legion of Doom, rather. I really liked that. I liked... Um... It's it's fun to, to, to maybe hint at the way that the Legion of Doom might fall apart. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's like a hint at, at I, I almost feel like this is going to happen down the road. Like somebody's ego is gonna get in the way and kind of wreck this uh this good streak of, of besting the heroes that they've got going, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's a strong it was a very believable turn for him, you know? Yeah. We've seen Black Manta stories over the years since since Jeff Johns. Well, since, oh, I mean, for me, as far back as Brightest Day, right? There was some Black Manta stuff in that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so, like, we, we've, see, we've seen plenty of him, but he's never gotten this. He never, like, got over, I think, to me, to use, like, a wrestling term. Right. And I feel like this kind of turn for him where he where he uh disobeys lex or whatever was a really nice like getting over moment for him even if he's gonna get like owned right away um i just think like it's a it's a it's a strong move for him i like how lex kind of is (laughs) he does the star wars thing like you're breaking up on me yep oh i can't i can't hear you you know and then and uh yeah it was that was just a really that was a turn for him that was like strong for him as a character, but also fun in the context of the story and funny and fun in the context of the Legion of Doom and kind of how they operate as a whole. So it was it was many things. It contained multitudes, I thought. It was a, a very balanced take on the character and everything that was going on. Yeah, I feel like Black Manta is one of those villains that if you're even a casual Wonder Wonder Woman esque. Like, I, I know he's an Aquaman villain, but I feel like there's a there's a tier of villains that are like Aquaman, Wonder Woman, maybe uh, Flash villains are too big, but like there's a tier of villains that if you're a casual DC fan, you're aware of. Yeah, like, like the, the Legion of Doom from the classic cartoon. Yes, exactly. And but I feel like this is the first time that a writer has taken that character and done something. 
and this is not a revolutionary take on Black Manta, right? But but it's the first time there was a- any bit of like pop of um, like you said, this could get the character popular. Mm-hmm. This could be a uh, like an era defining Black Manta moment, and I don't think we've ever had one of those before. So that's good. Yeah. Um. I do like that Mira is going to be on the Justice League for a while. Yeah. I think that's really good. Um, I know you and Zach talked last week about this, about sort of Drowned Earth being the finale to the Dan Abnett Aquaman run. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it does feel like, I mean, this definitely puts a pin in the Aquaman story that was happening. But it doesn't feel like the because it wasn't written by Abnett and because it's really picking up on Justice League threads, not Aquaman threads. I feel like his his run does feel like it kind of didn't get a chance to end as well as it should have. Yeah, and that's really a shame. Mm-hmm. But that's all right. I have no doubt that Dan Abnett's going to continue to do a lot for DC. He seems to be a guy that they really trust with with their important characters yeah yeah and he can give you not this is not to discredit him or anything but he can give you if they want if they ask him to he can give them a very solid good version of whatever status quo dc feels they need to get to you know yeah there's abnett can tell his own story but also he seems really competent at taking a set of characters to a place that DC wants them to go. And what I'm referencing there is like the more the Titan stuff than the right than the Aquaman stuff. If the the Aquaman stuff felt a lot more personal to Abnett, the Titan stuff, especially early on anyway, felt like, okay, we need you to get these characters to this place and you're gonna do a really good job of doing that. Yeah. Does that absolutely. make sense? Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you look at the mess that was Convergence that led to Titan's Hunt, that (laughs) led to the return of Wally West in the Rebirth special, all of that was mapped out essentially by Abnett. And it was sort of messy and it was sort of boring, but it led to a really interesting place. And I think he's a pretty good fixer of continuity in that way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's just it's just a shame he didn't get. Like I think it was you and Zach that said that really before the Suicide Squad arc is really his finale. Yeah. Um, though I did feel like him and his father had some poignant moments in last week's Aquaman issue. Yeah, sure. Anyway. Um, I want to say, you know, I am not surprised that Francis Manipal, who was uh, solicited as the artist for this entire crossover, did not draw this entire crossover. <laughs> yeah. Um, although, you know, I'm not complaining about Howard Porter art either. No, no. And the Godlewski art at the very end was good, too. Yeah. I forgot Godlewski did a little bit at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else to say about Drowned Earth? Um, 
Do we have any idea? Like, what comes next? For Aquaman or for Justice League? For Justice League. I don't know. It's a good question. Let's look. Yeah. Uh, I'm just Googling the December solicits. Um, what are you... Are you excited? I mean, I know we're excited in, in principle for Kelly Sue DeConnick's run. Mm-hmm. But does this story give you a different level of hope or excitement for the the new Aquaman run? No, it feels like uh it feels it feels like they're delivering her a pretty clean slate, I think. You know, yeah, he, like I don't it'd be anything now. Right. Exactly. It doesn't give me any insight to what comes next other than here you go Kelly Sue. Here he is. Here's Tony. <laughs> Here's his wife, Carmella. <laughs> Dominic Kianese. Oh, man. This is one of those jokes that no one's going to fucking Nobody understand. gets except for you and me. Zach, yep. Zach doesn't even get it, even though we do it all around him all the time. Yep. Yeah. That is correct. <laughs> um, sorry. I'm, my computer is loading very slowly. That's okay. I know I don't uh, want to get there... to this next book either. So <laughs> that that is true. Oh, no, actually, the next book we have is uh, is a fun one. I thought. Is it? I thought it was. Oh, I guess if you go, yeah. Are we doing DC's Nuclear Winter? Yeah. Okay. But hang on, I'm almost there. All right. Uh, Justice League. Let's see. Oh, uh, okay. So Justice League number 13, which comes out uh, next week, that's another Legion of Doom issue. And then Justice League 14 is a uh, Martian Manhunter, Jon Stewart, and Hawkgirl, what they they were doing during Drowned Earth. That sounds like my shit. Yeah. And then I know Scott Snyder told me that there's a Justice League annual in ja- in January that's going to be a big deal. Okay. So All that's right. pretty fun. Uh-huh. I'm down with that. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about DC Nuclear Winter Special number one. Um, so I, I had read the title of this. <laughs> But I had not like dug into what was in this book at all before I opened it up. And I have to say, I really liked this. Yeah. There's a lot of really good stuff here. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, you know, what did we get here? Nine stories plus the framing device, so like ten ten stories basically. Yeah. There were only two, and they weren't even bad, but there were two that felt like kind of nothing to me. And on all the other ones, I found some really interesting and nice stuff to find enjoyment in, I think. I am interested. Are you counting the framing device as one of the ten stories that you can say there is nothing there? Well, yes, there's yeah, there's there's two stories in the thing total including the framing device that I didn't care for. 
So is the framing device one of the ones you didn't care for? No. I love the framing device. I was going to say, it's Mark Russell, baby. You got to no, love that. No, it was great. It was right, great. Me... Morgus is more of a Flash guy. Is like the I've, I've been thinking of yeah. that line and <laughs> laughing all week. All right, so l- let me guess which which are your two then. Okay. That I didn't like. You didn't like? Yeah. Was it the Flash one? No, I liked that one. Was it the Firestorm one? No, I really liked that one. <laughs> was it the Aquaman one? Yes, the Aquaman one was one of them because, I mean, a character in the framing device makes fun of the fact that it doesn't even have an ending. Yes, it's I agree not... with the character. <laughs> yeah, it's not anything. It's I'm surprised that you got to the end and they're like, not the end. Yeah. Like, okay, where is this going to be continued? <laughs> the answer is nowhere. Yeah, the answer is no. There's, it couldn't possibly be. So so on that level, it seems pointless. But and I then mean, I'm gonna to, get, be, I'm, to the beginning, it wasn't – to the for – you know, it wasn't that much of a story to begin with, you know? There wasn't right. much to it. And then I'm going to guess the other one is maybe the Commandy story? Yeah, the Commandy story also felt – very slight, and even though I'm a huge Commandy fan, and I thought the yeah. art the art from Hester was really nice. I agree. The yeah. story was just nothing. There was nothing to it, and it didn't. It it honestly didn't feel. Even though Commandy is obviously kind of it, it lends itself to a post nuclear winter uh, yeah. story, it did not feel a part of the rest of these. In yeah, that, we should say way. that all of these take place after after a nuclear apocalypse. Yeah. Um, even though that you would think nuclear winter special would, uh, would tell you that, you know, <laughs> you never know. Yeah, really. Yeah. It really kind of doesn't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, so let's just go sort of beat by beat here. Um, the framing device is Rip Hunter shows up at Oogle headquarters, uh, and in the future and, uh, he wants to be eaten by some, uh, some sort of hilariously stereotypical post-apocalyptic punks. Yeah. Um, uh, as you as you established, Morgus is more of a Flash guy. And Morgus is more of a Flash guy. I love it. I love how the other guy is like, yeah, are these stories important stories though? Like he's a comic, yeah. he's a total comic book guy. Like I'm not reading this unless it's important. Yeah. Um. So we got a. Batman 666 story, which is Damian Wayne in the future. Oh, yeah. And I'm just going to say it. This might be the best thing that Lansing and... Uh, Kelly. Kelly. I can never remember that second guy's <laughs> name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, dude, who's probably nice. <laughs> I can never remember your name. Ever, ever, ever. I can be looking at it like right in front of me, and I'm like, ah, well, whatever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um but this is probably the best thing they've ever written. Yeah, yeah. Oh, easily, easily. Now, granted, I haven't read. Uh... <laughs> Wait, you don't have all the hacktivist issues? <laughs> no, 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 I don't. Even even as a young boy with uh, with several Alyssa Milano pictures hidden uh, under my mattress, I <laughs> that was her, right? <laughs> yes, it was her. <laughs> No, I haven't read that. It could very well be better than this, but um, but this was really good. This was this was startlingly good because it did it did the thing that I love out of um, 
well, any comic in general, but especially like uh, Elseworld style or like alternate takes of the character where it highlights. See if I can explain this like correctly. But the thing that I love when these kind of stories are written this way is that it, you know, this is Damien as Batman from the Grant Morrison, like future Batman from the Grant Morrison run. Right. Right. It is very much Batman and they make no bones about the fact that Damien is taking up the Batman mantle and holding to all the Batman ideals. And yet there's many things within the story that highlight how Damien is different as a different character. I don't like alternate uh, like alternate world takes or else world takes where they completely change the character just to be edgy for no reason or or they give you a take that's so similar to who the character is that it's like inconsequential. This is like the perfect marriage of a completely different character under the cowl holding up the ideals of the Batman, right? Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's really beautifully done. Yeah. And the, the Cam I, and Coley art is the Gabagool too. So Yes, it is very, very good. I was legit surprised when he said like so the way it's so essentially Rachel Ghoul stabs Damien a pe- looks looks like through the heart with a uh with his sword. And um Rachel Ghoul says, Why? Why won't you kill me, Damien? And he says, No, not Damien. Damien would have killed you after the first strike. I don't kill I'm Batman. Yeah. And I, I feel like at first you think it's going to be a swerve and it wasn't Damien under the cowl. Mm-hmm. But no, it's Damien, but he's not Damien anymore. He's Batman. Mm-hmm. And it's just so – it's so great. Yeah, it's, that's perfect. It, that's how you do these kind of yeah, stories. Exactly. It's true to the – it's true to everything about Damien and everything about the Batman – but it it feels new and and different and it's just really good. Good for you, hacktivist boys. <laughs> and Giuseppe Camicoli needs to be getting more DC work. Yeah, yeah. Remember when I forget what issue it was? It was like a holiday special or something, and he did the the art on like a Constantine. Right, that was like a holiday special, and the first few pages were like Constantine sitting in a drinking in like a cabin, waiting out a snowstorm or something like that. I could be pulling this out of my ass. I mean, all those things you said could have happened. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't really know much more than that. Uh huh. Well, anyway, um, what I do know is that the second story in this book is a Superman one million story. Yes. Not only that, it's a Superman 1 million Martian Manhunter time travel <laughs> Mon Pa Kent story. This is literally everything I want out of comics. <laughs> <laughs> Written by Steve Orlando, drawn by Brad Walker. Yeah. I mean, come on. That's that's Gabagool, too. And by the way, how much play is Grant Morrison getting in this thing? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I uh this this story like so we've talked in the past about how of all the guys that DC has writing for them right now, 
Steve Orlando might be the one who gets Morrison the best. And this issue feels so much like a Morrison issue. And not just because of the character he's using, but like the the sort of machinations of the time travel mind wipe. They don't all make quite perfect sense, but they make Morrisonian sense. Yes. And they breeze through them so quickly that it's so it's so matter of fact. Like Right, exactly. Oh, well I, I erased your memory until this exact moment that you that we're having together. You know, like Right, yeah. Oh yeah, okay. I can that's go one of the, that. That's one of the best things that Morrison does. Like he explains it in a way that isn't quite like and they were rescued by let's say Mo. You know it, it, <laughs> it, it's a little more nuanced than that. But it's not so much more nuanced than that that it bogs down the more important parts of the story. Yes. Well said. <laughs> I love that reference. I know you do. That's why I said it. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's just it's it's just like <laughs> have you ever seen the movie The Ten? Is that the the um Fuck, is that the one about the uh, the Ten Commandments? Is Ten Commandments, Ten sketches. But yes, but it's the it's like basically like the state and yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Have, yeah. have you ever seen that? Um, I bits and pieces. I think I've you should seen, watch like, it. Okay, it's really good. Right. Um, but there's a uh, there's the worst one of the worst stories in there is this. It's this cartoon story about a like an animal that essentially when it takes a shit a flower grows out of it and that flower like poisons you or something. It doesn't make sense. But halfway through the story, one of the guys is like, wait a minute, why doesn't it affect like, why doesn't this animal get sick whenever it shits? And everyone in the room laughs and they go, he's immune. Like it's, it's so dumb. They obviously didn't have a way around it. So they just made up this totally useless bit of information and then treated it like it was common sense. Mm. And I feel like, it, it, that was meant to be dumb and funny, but more things should just do that. Like, it's fine that this is just... Yeah, I erased your memory. We don't have to go into how. There's there's not an explanation needed. It's just, this is what happens, and let's move on to the important part of the story. And I feel like that is so sorely missing in superhero comics today, and I'm so glad that Steve Orlando was able to do that here. Yeah, it's just it's just great. I can't I can't get over how much I loved this installment, especially because I have not reread DC One Million in probably fifteen years, so I'm not as super familiar with this character as as you know. I'm not, I'm just not. So the fact that I enjoyed it so much, even with this you know slightly different character. And it's just it's a testament to the work Orlando and Walker did. Yeah. Is that a sneeze, buddy? It was, and I was trying so hard to hit the mute button and I couldn't find it. That's okay. Gesundheit. <laughs> but well said, I haven't read Superman one million in many years either, and so But yes, it was you didn't need to. That was right. the that was the other great thing about both of the it doesn't matter for the Batman six 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 one too doesn't matter if you know where that character comes from at all it doesn't it doesn't really add to anything knowing that as long as you can figure out who it is 
Yeah. You're fine. Yep. Yeah. Um All right, so now we have a uh a flash story written by Jeff Loveness. Well, I don't think he's done that much at DC, has he? No, he did it. He did a story in like the last one of these. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And illustrated by Christian Duce. Um so I I didn't dislike this story. But I just felt it was sort of nothing. This is probably lower on the on the totem pole of the ones that I liked, you know. But mm-hmm. but I will say there are aspects of it I really like. The idea that Barry sacrifices himself to save the Justice League, right? That really worked for me. Wallace stepping up onto the Justice League. Yeah, Iris, Iris moving on, kind of having this—it's almost like a ghost of Christmas future, yeah, type aspect to it. All of that worked for me. One of the things that didn't really work for me was was um, Barry Barry saying that he's just a guy who runs fast and he sees himself as lesser than the other Justice League members. I don't really think that that's has that really been part of his character before. Because to, to me, so. that doesn't ring true. No, and that, that was my major problem with this, is I feel like Barry is such a scientific mind that he would instantly be like, no, my speed is unique and bring something to the team that, you know, doesn't that, that no one else brings. Like, I just feel like it doesn't fit his character to be this, um, this sort of bashful about his powers. Mm-hmm. That didn't ring true to me at all. Yeah. Yep. But I but but I think the story was fine. You know, I don't think it was. It wasn't bad. No. Yeah. And I think that keeping Barry and Iris as like the core of the uh, of the story is, you know, there there's something about, and we'll get to another speedster and his wife shortly. <laughs> But there's something about the speedsters and their and their loves that just typically really work. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Iris. Uh, Iris is boning down with a guy named Seth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he seems nice. He does seem nice. <laughs> Uh, so then we get another Rip Hunter interlude, and uh, and then we get to uh, Morgus. By the way, in addition to being a Flash guy, remembers Christmas. Yep. Yeah. Wanted to put that out there. <laughs> um. So then we get the Aquaman story that doesn't end, written by Mayor Green Scott, illustrated by Dexter Soy. I do love Dexter Soy's art. Mm-hmm. I think he did a really nice job with the story. Um, we are obviously big fans of his from Red Hood and the Outlaws Volume Two. But as Vince said earlier, this story does not end, and there's no reason given for that. Yeah, you know this one really feels like one of those uh, DC Talent Workshop. I was just going to say that. Yeah, yeah, where where they're like. All of them are kind of pitched as like not the end, but of course they're the end, right? So if they were at the end, they'd have been picked up for a series, 
and you wouldn't have this. Yeah, right. Yeah, I wonder if this is a leftover story from that. Yeah, I don't know, because I, I don't know if she was ever in that. I think she was, and she I, know was? Dexter, I know Dexter Soy was in that. Okay, yeah. Guys, I think so. Yeah. All right, next up we get my favorite story in the book, I think. <laughs> The uh, the Supergirl story. Mm. Uh, it's a really sweet story of like one of the things that I think separates Kara from the other characters is her um, just her unending compassion, and that's something I've talked to uh, Sterling Gates about a couple other Supergirl writers is that they feel like compassion is what should be setting her apart. And I think that this story perfectly captures that. And, uh, man, Tom Taylor started off as the Injustice guy and has really done some good stuff in comics since then. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Taylor's one of those guys who, I mean, I know he's writing some, or at least I don't know what he's doing right now over at Marvel, if anything, but I know he's written some like pretty important stories over at Marvel. I'm surprised DC – I mean, I know they've had him on the Injustice stuff, but I'm surprised they haven't given him, like, a a consistent mainline book because he's really good. Yeah. What this, did you think of this story? This story was great. It was – it looked beautiful. The the Yasmin Putri uh-huh. part um, looked great. And, to, and, and Tom Derenek did the breakdowns. You should just say that. Oh, okay. Yep. And Tom Taylor's just – the grasp on this character was so good. Um, I loved how the kind of the reveal, if you didn't know that it was a Supergirl story going in, you you don't know it until like three or four pages in. Right, until she gets up enough to be near the sun. Yeah. And then to get her powers. What a great sort of sequencing to get to that moment. Absolutely. Yeah, just, just really, really beautifully done. Um and again, just a succinct story that perfectly captures um, the character of Supergirl as we know her. Um, I mean, just the fact that, like, it, you know, they get to the Fortress of Solitude, you think she's going to send her off on her own, and then she decides, no, you shouldn't be alone, I'll come with you. Mm-hmm. And seeing them cramped in that pod, it was just, it was perfect. So great. I think this is my favorite part of the book, and I loved some other stories, but this one really stood out to me. Yeah. So, it's good stuff. Um, that brings us to a Firestorm story written by uh, Paul Dini, illustrated by Jerry Ordway. This is the most overtly holiday story <laughs> yep. that we got. Um. This was an odd one, but one I actually really liked. Yeah, yeah. I really liked it too. Um, I found myself now. It's it's got a recipe to it that didn't necessarily make me think I was going to write it right off, like it right off the bat. Because I'm not like I like Firestorm. I'm not like a huge raging Firestorm fan. Um. At this point in their careers, I don't know how big of a Paul Dini and Jerry Ordway fan I am. Uh, and yet, they came together and made this little Firestorm story 
where he comes up against the nuclear family and made me laugh out loud like five times. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm not even exaggerating. I was like laughing out loud in the middle of the night reading this book, <laughs> probably waking up everyone in my house. Um, and I don't know what, maybe I'm in the Christmas spirit or something like that, but, uh, the, the, the son in the family just getting stuck saying, Hey, I'm Biff over and over yeah. again <laughs> at, at inopportune times is, was fantastic. Um, there was a, there was a joke where, uh, the dad says something like there's no little blue pill to fix this. And he like lifts up his shirt and he's yep. got like all of his wiring underneath. And that's just a really, really well executed joke for a comic book. Um, man, this was funny and a little heartwarming at the end too. Yes, absolutely. He gets the nuclear family to, to all shut down at the same time. So none of them have to be alone. Um, yeah, it was. I liked it a lot. So did I, and I. I really still like Jerry Ordway's art. Um. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was nice here. I just the, the name itself did not excite me. Is all I'm saying. Just That's seeing fair. it. Yeah, yeah, but it was great. Um. So then we get another little interlude with uh, with Rip Hunter. And then we get the commandy story. Now, this commandy story, I think this is the best Phil Hester art in some time. The art is absolutely gorgeous here. Mm-hmm. But I did not think this story was all that great. Yeah, the story was just, not, I mean, it was fine. It it just, it felt like, actually, this felt like one of the uh, commandy challenge yes. stories where... It's like it's like part of a bigger whole that you don't really totally get delivered to you, and uh, and again, it doesn't really. It only fits in the DC's nuclear winter apocalypse setting because it is Commandy, and that's kind of that's kind of Commandy's thing. But that would be like putting an Electric Warriors story in here. Yeah. Yes. Yep. All right. Well, after that, we get a uh, Catwoman story written by Cecil Castellucci, illustrated by Aman K. Uh, Nehuopalm. I'm so bad at the name. I think think you got pretty close. Yeah. Um, And this one, I think, on the surface, looked like a pretty stereotypical Catwoman story. But again, I thought that Castellucci managed to give it a little bit more depth and made it something that was pretty fun. Yep. Yep. I think, uh, again, kind of another heartwarming ending, totally fitting for Selena. Um, she's going around with Holly Robinson's daughter, kind of caring for her at this point. Holly's dead. Um, and uh, the daughter's name is Sophie and Sophie ends up, uh, inspiring selena to do a little bit of good around the holidays so which is which is kind of selena's thing you know she's this rough around the edges person who occasionally acts like a hero yeah uh, i i don't have too much to say about that that story it was fine mm-hmm. uh, i have a lot more to say about this last story though yeah okay the green arrow story written by is this the first 
DC work by Dave Wheelagos? No, he was also in the last... Man, uh, they must have contracted some folks just for these issues. Yeah, he was in the Halloween one. He did the... Uh... Oh, man, what was that? Creepy Comics Cavalcade? Mm-hmm. Talk about this story, and I'll find out what book he... what He edited that, I think. Okay. Um, but he also had a story in there. Okay. Uh, and illustrated by Scott Collins, that's what I'd say. So, um, so this was... This was sort of the most traditional um, set in the future story we got here where Green Arrow is invited to the Justice League Christmas party and, uh, you know, he and Hawkman have have some words a little bit, but then he spots uh, Dinah and, you know... He and Diana have a little dance, and Di- and uh, Ollie tells his uh, her her grandson about about sort of the hero she was, and it, it was just a really well done story. There was nothing; it, it could have been maudlin, it could have been a little bit too much, but it wasn't. It was nice. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for Dave Wildgoss did the. Damian Wayne, uh, Solomon Grundy story. Oh, okay, from, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, I liked, I liked how what I really liked about the characterization of Ollie here is that it shows him in conflict with the rest of the Justice League, which is a way that he tends to be written. I think he he's always kind of felt like a Justice League outsider, even while he's on the team. You know, yeah, especially as of late. Yes. And then you can see, like, I, I like that weight against this idea that now he's old and he doesn't fit in with the younger people either at this point. And he kind of like views them with con- like grumpy content, com- mm-hmm. contempt. Um, I think that's a really in- it's 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 a demonstration of Ali as a character who can't quite. Uh, live amongst normal people, whether they're young or old or just like right. him or not. You know, he's kind of – he's this well-meaning guy, but he's like rough around the edges in that way. Um, so I, I thought that was pretty good. And I and I like the – it was a nice little moment with Dinah where, where he re- – you know, there's not this big reunion where they go off together. It's – he realizes that in in this scenario, them being apart was the right thing. And, uh, yeah, nice little story and good Scott Collins art. Yeah, I did want to say there was sort of one little thing I thought, which was, uh, and this is probably me reading too much into this as always, but I felt like it was a little bit cheap to have both Iris and Dinah remarry or whatever in a way where it seems like the heroes, quote, the male heroes keep being heroes and the women heroes get married. Oh, <laughs> yeah. But I don't think that was intentional necessarily. No. Overall, I think this was the best of these anthology books they've been doing for the last few years that I could think of. Yeah. We are a long way from the uh, the Halloween special of two years ago. Oh, God, yeah. Ugh. 
All right, well, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a minute to talk about Heroes and Diapers. <laughs> you said it? Hello, my name is Alice W. Castle, and I host Force Ghost Coast to Coast on the Multiverse A Podcast Network. Each episode, we discuss all the news from the galaxy far, far away, from movies to comics to novels to TV to games and everything in between. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts. Come join us next time, and may the Force be with you. And we are back to talk about Heroes in Crisis number three, written by Tom King, illustrated by Lee Weeks, with a tiny bit of clay man art there in there. Um, before we get into the issue proper, I did want to say, did you check out the variant cover for this issue? Is it the Max Lord Yes. The Wonder Woman, Max Lord, killing. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I actually thought that was a relatively clever way to do a variant cover for this issue. Uh, not, not, not that it has to do with this issue, but to make it like a Sanctuary Files to go through like older instances of heroes, you know. Yeah, they've been doing that. Yeah, what was the last one? I don't remember what the last one was. Well, there was the one where Superman dies. I don't know yes. if that was the. First. I think that was the first one. I, th- okay. I think. Yeah. And then, what was the? I don't. I don't remember what the second one was. I'm. I'm looking it up. You. You talk about this issue a little bit. Oh, do I have to? You um, do. Yeah, I do. Um, well, surprise, surprise! I did not like this. <laughs> um. To me, this is gonna okay. This is gonna sound like that. The second th- one we we, we should have gotten this one. The second one was Bane breaking Bruce's back. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. Um, th- th- what was I saying? Oh, th- this is gonna sound like me just saying like, oh well, uh, you just you just want everything to be written the way that you want it to be written, and <laughs> then that's. That's true because I'm the one reading it, but uh, but but that that's what this criticism is going to sound like. But to me, the the this whole issue hinges on Booster showing up at Sanctuary and us getting a little bit of more of a insight into how things work there, mm-hmm. and which is very silly, by the way. Um, to me, this does not like if this is if this is what the therapy is supposed to be like. It's not very healthy therapy. <laughs> so welcome to our toga party. Yeah. You're going to walk around here in togas and stupid masks, and then you're going to essentially have VR nightmares. Yeah, and you and you get whatever you want. There's not, uh, you know, there's nobody uh, educating you or challenging you to, you know what I mean? Like, I've been in therapy and and it's not like this, right? Right. <laughs> this is like the the way that it turns out for Booster makes sense because it's so without boundaries or borders or any guidance or education or uh, an idea, an education for Booster about himself and what's going on in his mind. It's it's just basically letting him have free reign to have Lagoon Boy allowing himself to take blasts to the chest over and over again. Do, do we think that that's any kind of good therapy that's accomplishing anything? You know, <laughs> to, I mean, again, for this to work, 
Tom King is essentially telling us that the, the trinity of heroes that have created this are idiots, right? And, like, don't know, didn't care or, or, you know, weren't careful enough in creating this as an actual environment that would be helpful. Hey, Bruce, Diana, come here for a second. I have this idea. What if we just have, like, a laser cannon there? And if people want to get shot a thousand times, they can. <laughs> Yeah, with like no, you know, with with nobody there. I understand that it's like a simulation, but but with nobody there to control it in a way. I mean, you 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 watch Lagoon Boy dealing with it, right? He keeps saying like I just think that like maybe next time it won't hurt or I'll find it funny or something like that. There's no guidance here that is supposed to kind of give him insight into what he is feeling or what he's supposed to be feeling, you know? And that's not like therapy is not just putting somebody in a room and, and telling them go nuts, (laughs) do whatever you want. And then that'll work it all out for you. You know, this isn't the do what you feel festival. (laughs) Yes. But booster specifically, this is the part that, that I really don't get. He comes to this thing and First of all, his reaction to everything is so childish. He sounds like an eight-year-old walking around this thing, like not listening to the to the curators of the the Mon Pa Kent figure, basically just um, being skeptical of everything in a way that's in a way that's not giving him any insight in it, into anything. It just makes him sound ignorant, right? So like he's sitting down with this VR thing and he's trying to. What's the trick here? There's some sort of trick, right? But it's, it, you know, he's not, act, like, it's not to his benefit to be skeptical, right? He's not doing it in a way that informs him. He's, he's, he's being difficult. He's not trying to learn anything. That's what I'm getting from the way the character's written in this. Yeah. And then for him to finally sit down and try to work it out, and for him to not know who to talk to or who to imagine talking to in this VR scenario other than a clone of himself. When Ted Cord is his best friend in the world, he can't think of anybody to talk to except for himself. Not only that, he has like a flying around talking companion. Yeah, Skeets. Wouldn't like, Skeets make a ton of sense here? Right. And to me, this is just... This is Tom King saying, like, well, I'm going to write Booster as this completely, unbelievably childish asshole who's self-centered in a way that is not, like, has Booster been that? Yes. But it's like King, the character has no depth, right? Well, if he, if Booster is a little self-centered, he's, I'm going to write him as extremely self-centered to the point where he can only think to talk to himself. Right. And I know that the the, the 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 blue beetle, the blue and the gold thing hasn't been a thing in a while at DC. But uh, uh no, that didn't that happen? Cuz in the wasn't the booster story in convergence all about that? Well, yes, but convergence don't 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 you think that But he, he was the character that was like he was the only one who knew what convergence was happening, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah, everything you're saying is true, but like, I'm talking about like in a macro sense. Like sure, D- sure. DC has not treated that as a as a premier team up 
Like he was not in Blue Beetle's book. He, he may have popped his head in once or twice. I don't remember, but like, it's not been a, a thing. Like the, the you know, there was a time at DC where they were joined at the hip, right? Yes. I know that's not a thing, but like, neither has Lagoon Boy. The Lagoon Boy stuff is taken from a a, a Titans East one shot from like a decade and a half ago or something. Like that hasn't been a thing in a while either. And we're mining that for, for content in this book. So don't tell me that you can't come up with a better character beat for booster that involves something better than him just talking to himself because he's self-centered, you know? Right. Imagine how much stronger, uh, again, this is just me rearranging King's plot. For all I know, blue beetle is going to come into this book in some way in the future. That could very well happen. But the book I have in front of me, Booster is not recognizable as a character because he's not relying on the people in his life that he absolutely would. Okay. <laughs> you know, right. Th- to me, this is King rearranging these characters to suit this specific vision that he has for this book in a way that belittles them. You know, um, to me, Booster is unbearable in this form. Yeah, <laughs> that's not wrong. No, but but you take it away now. That's my biggest problem with this issue. Booster is just absolutely unbearable to read. My biggest problem with this issue, and I think that this is a very Tom King problem to have, is that, I mean, of course, let me just ask you, what's going to be my biggest problem? What, what what do I think your biggest problem is going to be? Yeah. Um, that Tom King is just leaving tons of Titans in his wake? Yeah, but the Wally stuff in particular. So, you know, he's creating this... There's this VR world that Wally's putting himself into, and the first thing he does is he adds his wife and kids to it. And the computer's like, why, Wally? Why are you bringing them into this? Why do you want this? Mm-hmm. And he only figures out after he's holding his dead friend that he didn't want to be alone. <laughs> I, like, I, what kind of horse shit is that? <laughs> like, just just take it at face value, okay? Since Wally's come back, Wally's whole thing has been finding his kids and his wife. Uh-huh. That, that shouldn't be shocking. He shouldn't be just figuring out where his brain is with all of this. It makes no sense. And also, I I just didn't want to be alone is not like... That doesn't seem like the answer to that question. No, the answer should be because I love my family. Right. But Tom, Tom King, again, he writes these characters in such a minimalist way as well that like... That that minimalist idea that he just didn't want to be alone is supposed to be this super profound, like you said, like a super profound realization. When yeah. that is a very – that's a gross oversimplification for why you would want to see your kids again. Yeah. Oh, man. He's basically saying that he just wants company. Right. He's He's the old man who's your grandfather's roommate at the nursing home who you say hi to and then doesn't stop talking to you for an hour <laughs> because he just wants some company. Like, that's that's the Wally West that he's written here. Mm-hmm. And it's fucked up. And again, the AI just, like, probing Wally for why he wants his family back or whatever, again, seems like asinine therapy. Like, 
gee, why are you so trying so hard to find your kids that you haven't seen in five years or whatever? You <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. Like, hey, what's so ther- great about your children, Wally? Right. A therapist would never say that to their. <laughs> it's... No, I don't get it. I don't get how this is supposed to be helping. So, so let's let's jump to the end of the issue here. Oh man! Oh, for, first of all, um, Lagoon Boy stopping that last laser beam is totally Kylo Ren stopping uh, Poe Dameron's blast in the beginning of The Force Awakens. <laughs> Just putting that out there. Yeah. Um, but, so we get Harley just flat-out murdering Wally. Mm-hmm. Hitting him in the head with a mallet. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't want to get into superhero physics here, Vince, but it seems like doesn't that seem like a pretty – I don't know. It, Wally has fought gods. Mm-hmm. And Harley's mallet is stronger than that? I think what it comes down – I mean, setting aside that it's very possible that Tom King just needed this to happen, so he wrote it that way, you know? Yeah. Which is what I'm thinking every time I read one of his books, but – I think what I, I I think what's happening here in my mind when I read this book is that there's so much about this that is convoluted and like purposely being obfuscated, you know, like uh, it's supposed to be confusing, right? We're not supposed to know who's actually murdering anybody. We're three issues in and we're not supposed to know that yet, right? So everything that happens out on that porch and on the lawn out in front of Sanctuary, all of those bodies, anytime you see Harley hit someone with a mallet or Harley accuse Booster of killing everyone and Booster accusing Harley, all of it is meant to further this mystery. But it's being done in such a haphazard and sloppy way that I can't – you can't take for face value anything that you see in this book, right? Right. It's a mystery that's being billed as a mystery based solely on this idea of confusion. We've seen even the even the imagery doesn't really make sense unless unless these are accidental uh, discontinuities in art, because when we see. uh I believe when we see Roy's body for the first time, it's inside the house. It and, is. And when we see it in this issue, it's outside. And so what? Did bodies get moved? Is that just an art mistake? Or can we not trust what we're seeing? Well, if we if we can't trust what we're seeing, I mean, that's fine. That's how mysteries work sometimes. But the book is being so intentionally convoluted in that way. And it seems to be just about that. It's a it's about how convoluted it is at this point. It's not about how heroes deal with um, trauma and violence. It's about convoluting the mystery so that you don't figure it out too soon. Um, and so Harley's mallet factors into that because, okay, yeah, could Harley hit? Uh, Wally with the mallet and kill him when he's he could just vibrate away from it or whatever. I don't know. 
can we even trust that what we're seeing here is actually what happened? Do I care at this point? <laughs> well, no. that's that's the bigger question, right? No, I don't. <laughs> I just... I don't understand why Tom King wants to write for DC Comics. Because, and here's why, I've been thinking a lot about this this week. So this is the first book I read of this week's books. Because I just wanted to, like a band-aid, you know, pull it off fast. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when you read a Scott Snyder comic, or a Grant Morrison comic, or now a Brian Bendis comic, there seems to be this enjoyment of the challenge of writing a story that fits into this overall patchwork but is still uniquely your own. And I feel like Tom King has no interest in the overall patchwork of DC Comics. He just wants to write these characters the way he wants to write them. And in that case, why are you writing somebody else's characters? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh did you speaking of that it's weird for him to take this plot point from a from that Titan Z spec did did you read that that was that came out before that was like the introduction to the vol, second volume of Titans I believe it it's that one with all the hands on the cover like reaching into the center yeah that's uh, the, the the run that was written by uh um, Winnick yeah Joe Winnick yeah, yeah. So did you ever read that? Maybe. It begins with a Titan. It was called like the Titans East special one shot or something like that, where Cyborg's trying to form um, a Titans East team again. And he's training all these new young Titans to be a part of this team. And Trigon shows up and murks them all and ends up killing Power Boy, which is referenced in this issue of Heroes in Crisis. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think that you need to have read that story to understand what's going on in Heroes in Crisis, but doesn't it seem weird? Like, why that story? Well, I, I'll say this. Because he needs to kill as many fucking Titans as possible. Well, that's, yeah, that's kind of where I'm going with this. Well, like, what's going on with the Titan? And he, and here's the thing. I don't think that when this is all over, all these Titans are going to be gone. I don't think the Titan, the, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't think this is, this is, I, this is a deliberate targeting of Titans characters, but I don't believe, in my heart of hearts, I do not believe that it is an excuse to murk a bunch of Titans who aren't going to be back. I think this is for a purpose. I just can't for the life of me figure out what it is. I think you're giving it too much credit. Really? Yeah, I think so. So, so you think that... Because think about who else is at Sanctuary that we well, see I, by the end of this book. We see. I'm going to get to that in a second. Okay. So... We see Titans from across the entire history of Titans. Yes. We see Narc. We see Tattooed Man, who was part of that terrible Eric Wallace, Deathstroke-led Titans. Uh -huh. We see Red Devil, who is a teen Titan. 
Yeah. We see Solstice, who was a new 52 creation yeah. of the Teen Titans. We see um, Protector, who was a... He temporarily replaced Robin in the new Teen Titans drug issues. Yeah. Um, I want to say... I don't believe Nemesis was ever a Titan, nor was Gunfire. But... There's just there's a lot of dead titans here, and I don't understand. And then a, a dead poison ivy too, mm. um, which I feel like is an important thing we got to get to at some point. But I don't understand what the obsession with the titans are. But I don't think I can't imagine Tom King having any. Like to me, the titans are just they're characters you can kill that you've heard of that don't fuck up the rest of continuity. <laughs> yeah. Which is the worst. <laughs> so I, I, I reread that special. Okay. Um, after I read this issue of Heroes in Crisis. And mm-hmm. it's got the most uh, mid to th- early 2000s Ian Churchill art that's ever been. Oh, really? Uh, there are several times in the one shot special where characters are nearly nude. Uh <laughs> There is um, Don Granger. Yep. Is oh, was it Don or is it her sister? Who's the other Granger? I don't remember. I think it was. Her, I think it was her sister. I only acknowledge the New Fifty Two Beatles. Oh, okay. Yeah, Beatles. Beatles. I was looking on the on the shelf at the Beatles book I just bought the other day. Uh, I, I only accept the uh, the new fifty two um, Hawk and Dove. Okay, all right, that's fair. Which, which is also the brightest day, Hawk and Dove. Holly Granger. Holly. Anyway, one of them. One of them is in the shower, and they're like completely naked, of except <laughs> except like a few strands of hair covering up the nipples. Strands of hair and maybe some uh, some suds. Yeah, I, it was like reading a a, a scandalous manga or something. <laughs> it was it was actually unbelievable uh, how close it came. Um. Yeah. Anyway, that's just a side note. That yeah. is ridiculous. Uh, but going back to the thing I said before, just about Tom King having no interest in a shared universe, uh-huh. I feel like the Harley writing here is such a clear indication of that. Oh, man. Um, and I really don't know what's going on with, with Poison Ivy here. Yeah, I don't – like, once again – It's not um, mentioned at all. It's just like she's it's thrown out there in one panel here, and it was mentioned in one panel in issue two? Yeah. Yeah. Um, fuck, what was I going to say? Um, no, that's all right. Uh, oh, oh the, no, the, yeah, that feeds into my point about how, like, the, the, this is so convoluted to the detriment of everything that, you know, Harley's character and Poison Ivy's character... Those are two DC villains who have been portrayed as heroes at times and most recently have been getting cleaned up status quos to the point where they are basically heroes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or anti-heroes. But 
but be, because of that and because because we're not sure that Tom King is really writing those characters in the way that they have most recently been presented, I'm not sure whether what we're reading in this series can be taken at face value like, oh, okay, they're responsible for the murders and they're going to be villains or whether this is some fake out. It's intentionally – it's taking these characters who have been worked out over the years to be these complex uh, individuals and it's using that complexity as a tool to possibly make them suspects in a murder case when I feel like so much work has been done to get them away from this sort of story that to, to, to bring them back there and pretend that they're still, that there's still potential for them to be out and out villains that doesn't, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. can't really, I can't really articulate it, but like, <sighs> to me, it's, it's like, like, it's like they're pat. Yeah. It's like they're past this or they should be. Right. I was going to say, to me, it's like Tom King has an idea of who he wants his characters to be, and it doesn't matter what they've done since he developed his opinion on them. Yeah. He's just going to do them the way his opinion of them is. Yes. Yes. This this event makes me so angry. (laughs) But let's let's turn our attention. We have two more books to talk about. I have a feeling we're going to talk... A little bit less about these two books, um, but they're both pretty fun. The first one is The Flash, number 59, written by Joshua Williamson, il- Williamson illustrated by Rafa Sandoval. And, uh, man, have we talked about how good the variant covers have been for The Flash lately? We haven't, but this manga one, oh. It's Carl Kershaw, right? Yeah, it's yeah. gorgeous. It is. So this gives us a lot of Gorilla, Cili- Gorilla City stuff to say for some reason. Gorilla City stuff um, with um, King Solivar. And we get a, a really sort of the most explanation we've gotten of the four forces. The Speed Force, the Still Force, the Sage Force, and the... Uh, what's the fourth one? Sage, Strength, Still, strength, Speed. Strength, there we go. Strength Force, yeah. What did you think of this? Um, I liked it a lot. Uh, I love the Rafa Sandoval art. I think the Flash has been blessed with such good art, and Sandoval is like among the best. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I love the way he draws Iris, particularly <laughs> with that with that weird like anime Bob hairstyle. Yep. Yep. <laughs> So good. Kind of like um, Tiffany from the 80s. <laughs> there you go. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, I, he brings in the these, the Gemini twins. Like, again, it's Williamson folding more, more and more into this overall story that he's telling. It's actually quite similar to the way that Tom King's Mega Batman run is operating, except that uh-huh. like this is way better, but... But it's doing that thing where it's folding like every little bit of Flash lore into the pa- into the total package. Only it keeps dumping more in, you know. Yeah. At the end, at the end, you get this uh, Fuerza character. 
mm-hmm. which I believe is force, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah, and uh, and again, just just another speedster, just adding to, or not not even not a speedster. Um, another force user. Yes, another another force user. Yes. Yes. Uh, yep. Um. Oh, uh, Zach wanted me to mention something here. By the way. Okay. He he wanted to own you about the forces because it's clear from this issue now that they are completely distinct from what was going on in justice league. Yes. And (laughs) he specifically said you, but he's really owning me too, because I thought, I think I was less committal about it than you were. Um, just to be honest, not to like pat myself on the back or whatever, but I, I think I said, I was not sure that they were the same thing, but it kind of felt like they were. See, I guess my big question is, when are we going to rename the show The Two Best Friends and Brian Show? <laughs> that's, that's my question here. Well, I'm just wondering if we can do every show without you then. And... Okay, hey. <laughs> sure. You'll still not? edit though, right? No, 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 no. <laughs> um, well, thank you, Zach. <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, so... I love this kind of story because it gave us a lot of information, but it also left so much mystery out there. It's like a perfect tease for more of this sort of stuff. Um, I really, really enjoyed this issue. Yeah. I like that there is a bunch of uh, Force stuff that, that the Flash doesn't know yet that's being kept from him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's a lot of fun. I can't wait till this book gets super fucking depressing when he realizes Wally's dead. <laughs> nice little Commander Cold bit too, by the way. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I forgot about that. All right, and uh, our final book of the night, Titans number 30, written by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Min-Q Young. Uh, we have to say someone listens to the DC three cast because, um, Tempest is chowing down on some rubbery pizza on the cover. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Um, It can't be a coincidence at this point. No, it can't be. It's just, it's a, it's a thing and that's, that's all there is to it. Um, so we talked a couple of weeks ago about, the uh, the frustrations we have when a cover spoils the last page reveal. And the variant cover for this showing Kyle Rayner kind of spoiled the Kyle Rayner reveal at the end of the issue. Yeah, which I didn't I didn't look at, so I was I was still shocked. Oh, okay. It's in the PDF. Is it the second uh the second page in the PDF? I know. I just I must have I must have just blazed right by it. Oh, okay. Or glazed over it. Yeah, you're probably blazing when you're reading it. What's what'd you say? You're probably blazing when you were reading it. <laughs> uh, we all know you're addicted to pot. And, <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> again, that's Zach. I, I know. Uh, I know why you're bringing me into this? <laughs> Zach's the Choom boy, Choom gang. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what did you call a fucking Nick Nolte on Twitter the other day? <laughs> Who? Nick Nolte. 
Oh, Darth Choom. Darth Choom. He's, he's playing, uh, well, in that one picture, he looked a lot like Count Dooku. He looks like yeah. Count Dooku's uh, pot-dealing brother. Yeah, as Darth, I said, he's the, he's, he's the Oscar Bluth of the uh, Star Wars universe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, yeah, the reason Zach couldn't be here is because he died of marijuana poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> he got too you, high. You saw that one Onion headline about Jeff Sessions, right? <laughs> Where he tries to commit suicide by smoking a blunt. Yeah. 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 Uh, Anyway. Um, So, this issue just basically just is used to put the Titans back together. Right? The last couple issues have split them apart so much. And this issue is just, we see... Megan reveal her White Lantern self. We see everybody just kind of freak the fuck out and then come back together. And Donna Troy tells them all that Roy is dead, which I didn't realize they didn't know or I forgot they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And um, they still don't know Wally's dead, apparently. <laughs> apparently, yeah. Which I, again, I'll never understand how this. How Heroes in Crisis has fucked up this, this whole line so much. Again, like, we're not supposed. Like. Three issues in, we're just not supposed to understand it to the to the event's detriment. That's yes. that's my point. It's not like it's no longer like ooh, there's just things we're not supposed to be able to figure. Now it's it's so intentionally all over the map that it's impossible to follow. Yeah. Um. Now, you know I'm the Titans boy. You are the, the Titans boy. Cast. So what did you think of this issue? I liked this issue a lot. That's kind of why I wanted to talk about it because this is like the first issue i think since since the change that i've really wholesale enjoyed since menopause yes okay. <laughs> yep um i liked the little donna troy pep talk that yep. took place kind of halfway through the issue more rubbery pizza in that page by the way yep yep um the miss martian stuff and her secret identity as like a white martian was Played very interestingly. Um, kind of adds to the whole secrecy behind her inclusion on the team, but also, but also, Abnett writes it almost as a as a way to potentially make her closer to these people. You know, right? Yeah, and, that, and that's the strength of that little bit. Um, and then the Kyle Rayner descending at the end is like the money shot that, of course. Just, yeah, that's that's just everything you want. So yeah, I mean, if there's anything that would have made me love this book more, it's Kyle Rayner. Mm, yeah, yep. You know, unless Jack Knight joins the team, I think I'm uh, you know, I'm pretty good here. But I'm I'm excited. The Titans, like one of my sort of nitpicks about any Titans book over the last few years is that it hasn't. I feel like. It struggled to to carve out an identity for itself that isn't just like a lesser Justice League. Mm-hmm. And what I liked about this premise so much was that it it gave it something concrete and unique. And if you put Kyle on the team in place of Dick, while you know while the recreation stuff is happening, <laughs> um, you know it just continues to give it a slightly different tone and feel and it starts to it starts to be a little bit more of a unique book 
Yeah. And Minky Young's art is dope. Oh, it's great. It's great. I love how I love how it's not full blown anime manga, but there's just these little touches here and there. Oh yeah. You know, it's very much when I think of manga, there's like tons of word sound effects everywhere. There's lots of lots of panel size and type variations with things like exploding out of panels, lots of very overly expressive uh, action and facial expressions and things like that. Minkyu Young's art is like a dialed down version of that. Yeah. There's, it, there's, there's like, there's some anime faces every once in a while, but like it's a, it's, it's an American superhero comics version of sort of manga style design work and sensibilities. I agree. I agree completely. Um, I'm excited to see where this goes. I really am. Uh, so that does it for, for this week's show. Uh, so to pull back the curtain a little bit here, we, uh, we were supposed to be recording the next episode tomorrow night, but Vince wanted to talk about this upcoming week's book so much. We were moving the recording just for him. Um, well, I'm saying this because I included that great Jimmy Fallon gif in our uh, our group chat. You didn't even reference it, so the what? The, Say that again. The Jimmy Fallon gif. Did you see that? Uh what's his name? Nick. What's oh, name? You're yeah. computer guy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Nick. Burns. I did it. You're welcome. Yeah. Nick yeah, Burns. That's right. Again. You're welcome. Um, because this upcoming week is insane. Yeah. Let's just Crazy. run through some of the highlights. All right. Shazam number one. Oh, Martian Manhunter number one. Doomsday uh, Clock number eight. Yeah, which we don't even like, but we gotta talk about. Exactly. Well well we'll see if we'll see who likes it. <laughs> yeah, I have I, full disclosure, I I only read the books I had to read. I had some interviews at the end of last week. So I read a couple of things, but I haven't read I haven't read Shazam yet, which tells you how busy I've been. Uh-huh. Um, the Green Lantern I, number the two. Green Lantern number two. Yes. The unexpected uh, number seven. Yeah. We'll, we'll go ahead. What were you saying? I was going to say, look out. I have a Liam Sharp interview and a Steve Orlando Riley Rossmo interview going up this week. Readers, nice. So check those out. Uh, Border Town number four. Mm. Mm-hmm. Deathstroke thirty-eight. Justice League. Um. Damn yo. That's a big week. It's that's a big a week. <laughs> well, until that big a week, you can find me on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. If you want to get in touch with Vince, the best way to do it is to uh, Fight Club style insert a frame of your message <laughs> into every like twenty second frame of Evangelion. Of a porno. <laughs> of Evangelion when it comes oh, on Netflix in a few weeks. That's right, yes. Um, Zach will return from the grave, from the from the, the Kush grave that he's in. <laughs> he's, uh, I'm picturing him, like, uh, uh, making himself a, a grave in the ground and then, like, Instead of covering himself with dirt, he's covering covering himself with pot leaves, and he's got like a grin on his face. 
See, I, I wish that you have that you would have watched the greatest music movie of all time, Metallica, some kind of monster. Is <laughs> in that movie, Dave Mustaine talks about how one time he and Lars Ulrich were going to dig a hole in the ground and smoke hash through the earth. There we go. <laughs> so that's what Zach's doing tonight. It it just keeps coming back to that. It does. It does. Uh, so yeah, read read your comics, kids. Come back next Wednesday, and we'll see you. Then. Anyway, how was your Thanksgiving, Brian? Did you have some manicot? I did not, uh, but I did. I, I made I made meatballs from scratch. Ah, oh, madame. <laughs>